0: and welcome back to Practice Makes Faithful. It feels good to say that. It's been a little while.
1: It has been a while. Yeah, this yes. is a bonus episode, right? Yes, so. it is our
0: bonus episode. Season seasons. two is coming up in August, but today we got a bonus episode because we want to talk about something really exciting, is that Paul wrote a book.
1: Yeah, yeah, we talked about this a little bit at the end of the, the last season, but we um, We've had a development since then and that yes. the the actual the audiobook version of that has been released. And so all I'll give of us, you a little preview of that yeah. in, in a minute.
0: For all of us audible people, this is good news. Yeah. I was <laughs> listening to that today. It was a great time, loving it yeah, so far. It. But um, Paul, you wrote a book called The Way Back. What what is this book all about? Would you just give us like a couple sentence summary?
1: Yeah, so if I could go kind of the subtitle, the subtitle gives a little bit of the idea of what the book is actually all about. It's it's about repentance the presence of God and the revival that the church so desperately needs. And so I, I do believe that especially the North American church, we need to experience a revival but that only comes by experiencing the presence of God. And really that is kind of what all of this book is about. How do we get to the place where we can experience the presence of God? Well, it begins with repentance coming from our way back to God's way. Um, that's where we start to experience his presence and out of experiencing his presence is where revival or renewal or awakening comes. And I think we're at a place in time where where we really desperately need that. So that's really, that's the heart behind the book. You know, looking around, if you you look around, you know, you don't have to watch much news to see. um, We're living in a time where, where brokenness is evident everywhere. So we're all looking for some sort of healing. How can we get to the place? What are the, what are the answers to the problems that we face in society? And again, as we've said many times, I mean, this is not a new thing, but we need to find uh, you know, different and fresh ways to say it sometimes, that Jesus in the end is the answer to our problems. I mean, we believe that to be true. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Um, so that's what this book is about, that Jesus is the way and God provides us a way back to, to living in the awesome. way of Jesus. Awesome, man. I know Paul brought
0: just some great insight in this, and I, man, I'm man, i loving it, loving what I've read so far, and looking forward to diving deeper into this. So like you already said, we want to give you all a little preview of what this is all about, and I want to really encourage you to go out and get your own copy, uh, whether you want to order the hard copy from Amazon or get it from Audible if you want to listen to it, whatever, but check this thing out. This is awesome. And I did want to ask you before we go to that, before we preview that, Paul, like, what led you to write a book? Like you're a pastor, like you can preach this in a set of <laughs> right. sermons. Like, why'd you decide yeah. to write so this? Why did I decide to write a book?
1: Um, you know, I think um, the, the written media is still very powerful. The written form of yeah. communication is still very powerful. It allows people to digest things on their own time, their own pace. You know, I've had some, uh, you know, it, to, to be quite honest, you, you could read through this book and the audible uh, version of the book is only three hours. You could read through the book and uh, you know, all the way through the, the appendices as well and probably roughly four hours if you wanted to. Um, but I've heard from a lot of folks who've gone through and read it that said, you know, they've taken a day to digest each chapter and some that have yep. gone back again and worked through it again. And so the book gives the opportunity to do that. The same thing with the audible version. Mm-hmm. It allows you to do it at your own pace as opposed to me preaching through something and you trying to have to figure things out as we go you don't have to take notes because it's all in there so your notes are all there in the, in the book format i created the notes into a book for you so you know i think i think that's the reason behind that is you know you can reach so many more people it allows people to digest it at their own, at their own pace it allows people to take a copy of the book you know i've had several people who have purchased three four five copies and say i'm going to give these out to different yeah. people that yeah. that i know that that may sit down and and, uh, and read this for themselves uh, when they have the opportunity so really i think that's the the reason for the book
0: love that Love that. So with that in mind, uh, you're going to give us a little preview today yeah. of the Audible format. When, uh, what are we going to be listening to? Yeah.
1: So if you're listening on podcast, um, you'll, you'll actually just hear what we're saying. If, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, you'll just kind of have the, the logo of the book for a little bit, but the same experience for everybody it will be the introduction to the book and then chapter one. Um, I can't give, give the whole thing away, but I can give you that much of a preview, which is a little bit more than you get if you just go to Audible. Um, mm-hmm. So it'll be the introduction of the first chapter. Uh, also really neat, if you're not an Audible listener, uh, if you've never listened to Audible before, uh, I will include a code that you can go and you can actually get this book as your first book for free. Which is really cool. You don't have to pay a thing yeah. for it if you uh, if you haven't uh, listened to Audible before. So first time Audible customers get the get the book for free, which is kind of fun. Um, the rest of you, it's it's really it's really pretty cheap because it's short. I think uh, I think it runs roughly six seven dollars I, I don't know because i haven't had to buy it for myself She's the credit it's uh, they use the credit <laughs> yeah so it's it's a pretty cheap it's a pretty cheap purchase um you know but it gives you the opportunity to listen to it as you're driving mowing the lawn whatever you happen to do going on a walk a jog uh, that kind of thing and so it allows you to digest it that way as well so uh, the preview uh, uh, introduction and in chapter one uh, hope you enjoy it we'll be back on the back side of this real quick just with a with a couple of brief thoughts Introduction You don't have to watch the news for more than a few minutes to walk away with the impression that things aren't as they should be. Oh yes, I know it has been this way for generations, but it seems this statement is doubly true for our time and age. As I sat down and began to write this book, the world was languishing in the midst of a global pandemic. The country I live in was struggling, divided about how we should respond to issues of social and racial injustice. We had witnessed peaceful protests expressing genuine anger and sadness. But we had also seen riots in the streets leading to looting and senseless vandalism. That the year 2020 will be one poorly remembered goes without saying. But again, our experience is not a new or unique one. We will likely see similar events in the future. As I contemplate this further, it is my observation that there exists a growing disappointment with the way things are. Not one that often moves people to action, but instead moves many to resignation. After all, what can one individual do when the whole world seems to be headed in the wrong direction? This resignation has led to a growing feeling of helplessness, and for some, a true depression. As I look at the state of the world around me, my heart breaks. No, there can be no doubt that things are not as they should be so what's to be done? Will a political candidate fix things? Probably not. The United States has become so deeply partisan in our politics that even the perfect candidate would be decried as a fool by those on the other side of the aisle. How about the stars in Hollywood and other fixtures within pop culture? Should we look to them for answers? I will admit that I have, at times, been inspired by the humanitarian efforts that some of Hollywood stars are engaged in. They are certainly doing some good. But as a whole, the verdict concerning the example pop culture is setting can't be a positive one. So where do we look? As one who has spent the last 20 years of my life preaching and teaching the Word of God, can I be so bold as to suggest that I think I have the answer? Over the last decade, I have found myself struggling with two parallel questions. The first we have already brushed up against as we have examined some of the strife that the year 2020 will remain infamous for. Why is there so much evil in the world? The second, however, must be considered as well. It is certainly the product of human nature to focus on bad things more than the good, but have you ever wondered why there is so much good in the world? Where did that come from? Did a few people simply decide one day that being nice to each other was a better path. I doubt it. Left to our own devices, we seem to gravitate toward unkindness rather than kindness, selfishness rather than selflessness, and pride rather than humility. So where did these good things, we often call them virtues, come from? For me, the short answer is God. Even with all the bad in the world, There is still enough good in many of us that attributes such as kindness, selflessness, humility, faithfulness, and honesty make an appearance from time to time. But this brings us to another troubling truth. Americans are abandoning churches at a truly astonishing rate. We live in a culture that is rapidly becoming post-Christian. Church attendance is down. Far fewer believe in the existence of a loving God than in previous years. The Christian worldview as a whole has become a target for pointed attacks. So, what does it mean for us if the little good that is left in us comes from a God we are overwhelmingly seeking to distance ourselves from? Let that question sit with you for a minute before moving on. It is an important one to which we will return. Whether you are listening to this audiobook within months or even years of its recording, Both the problems and principles we will discuss are timeless. This book was not written for 2020, even if I began to write it in late 2020. God has always offered humankind a better way, and over and over again we have chosen our own way over what He has offered. This short book hopes to address what I see as a deep and real need, both individually and communally. To reconnect with and return to the God who is responsible for the good in this world. The good news is that He promises to return to those who turn from their ways and once again embrace His way of living. Turning from our own ways to return to God's way is what the Bible calls repentance. It is critical that you catch this promise that is made consistently throughout the pages of Scripture. Those who truly repent, will experience the presence of God. It is my prayer that as you continue to listen, you will come to see that the God of creation offers the solution, the only solution to the brokenness, division, and hopelessness so many are experiencing today. Chapter 1. The Case for God At this point, you may be wondering something along these lines. I thought I picked up a book about repentance. Why begin by making a case for God? To explain our starting point and the rest of the journey ahead, I'll give you some imagery that will create a helpful analogy. Suppose you were standing at the bottom of a mountain looking up. At the top of the mountain lies your destination. There are all sorts of reasons to get to the top. The view, the change in perspective, the sense of accomplishment, and so on. But the journey to the top isn't a straightforward one. No one, after all, sets out to climb a mountain by charging a direct line to the summit. So how do you climb a mountain? Well, for starters, you begin by looking around to get an understanding of your current surroundings. It's possible the best way to the top will be found by navigating a winding mountain road. Maybe the best way to the top is a narrow and twisting path set with multiple switchbacks. Even if you choose to take a more direct route, for example, by using climbing gear, a rope, harness, and carabiner, you are guaranteed to discover that the path to the top won't take the shape of a straight line. While a winding path may not be the shortest way to the top of the mountain, it is often the best route. So it will be for us. The path to our destination is a strategically chosen one. But here's a promise I want you to hold on to. For all who choose to navigate this mountain's circuitous route, the view at the top. The change in perspective will make every step of the journey well worth it. Who is God? Let's start with this question. Who is God? If you ask an atheist, he will likely tell you that God is a figment of the human imagination, invented to provide comfort and perhaps even an attempt at answering some of the questions science has left unanswered to this point. If you ask an agnostic, She might tell you that there is simply no way of knowing who God is or whether He exists. Ask a Buddhist, a Muslim, a Hindu, a Christian, or a mystic, and you will receive very different answers as well. For the sake of our discussion, however, we will concern ourselves primarily with the God who reveals Himself in the pages of the book we call the Bible. After all, this is the God who calls people to repentance. So who does the Bible say God is? Since the writers of Scripture make the claim that God Himself inspired their words, maybe a better question is, how does God present Himself to humanity by the message He has shared with us? To get to that answer, we will open the pages of Scripture to the first book of the Bible, Genesis. As we do... We will find that God presents himself as one who has existed before creation and outside of creation. Now, I know that is a big claim, but it is intended to be exactly that. Big. Genesis 1:1 commences with the words, "In the beginning God created." In other words, there was a beginning to all that has been created. God was there at the beginning, and He was the force behind all that began to exist. No matter how many times you may have considered these claims, stop and ponder them again for just a moment. There are many explanations for how creation came to be. It's a fair guess to say that the number of explanations to the question about the origin of creation are equal to the answers to the question, Who is God? Logically, it stands to reason that your view of God will directly influence your view of how creation came to be. With that in mind, let's spend a little time thinking about the implications of the claim made in Genesis 1-1. If, in the beginning God created, then everything we see exists as a result of the creative ingenuity of the God of the Bible. Imagine standing on a beach, watching the waves roll in reaching the breathtaking view at the summit of a mountain at the conclusion of a hike, holding a newborn child who has just drawn her first breath. All of the wonders we can observe with our senses, God is the reason all of these exist. The narrative of Genesis 1 goes on to describe the order of creation. God first created the heavens, then the earth. He created light. He separated the water from the dry land. He called all of the earth's vegetation into being, and then He created the division of day and night. In the fifth and sixth movements of creation, God placed fish in the sea, birds in the air, and other creatures on the land. God was pleased with what He had done, but something was missing. It is in this moment that God seems to have looked inward. Out of His own image, He created humanity. First Adam, then Eve. Up to this point, God had been pleased with all he had created. But in this moment, God was more than pleased. In fact, he was moved to declare the very goodness of what he had done, Genesis 1.31. So this is the claim of the Bible. This is God's claim and revelation about himself. From nothing, he made everything that we can see, hear, taste, touch, and smell and all of what we can't as well. Everything from the vastness of space to the smallest subatomic particles owe their existence to Him. But the crowning achievement of His creation, what He was most pleased with, was and still is humanity. There is much contained in the idea that God created humankind in His own image, much more than we can cover in this short book. Suffice it to say that on some level, you and I and everyone we come into contact with bear upon our very beings an imprint of the Creator God. More Big Statements Your view of God will shape your life. Yes, I know this is another big statement, but if you allow yourself to think about it for a minute, you will likely agree. If you believe there is a God who is responsible for your existence, you will probably ask yourself questions such as, What does God ask of me? What do I owe to the God who made me in His image? What does God think of me? If you don't believe in God, you may think questions such as these are foolish or even pointless. But these are fair questions to contemplate, even for those who don't share a belief in God. If you struggle with believing in the kind of God I have been describing, I will ask you to humor me for just a minute as we work through a few questions. What if there is a God, as presented in Genesis 1, one who is responsible for all of creation? Would He have the right to ask things of those He created? Would we owe something to this God who made us in His image? Should we wonder what He thinks of us? It is interesting that whether we believe in the God of the Bible, another God or creative entity, or even no God at all, most of us seem to have contemplated these questions on some level. How we react to the answers we arrive at is what tends to set us apart. The next question we often stumble upon when contemplating this first grouping of questions explains why. It goes something like this. Do I really want to believe in God? Especially if that means I am not the ultimate authority in my own life, or anything else for that matter. Let's flesh out the implications of that question a little further. If there is a God, wouldn't that mean that He does, in fact, have the right to ask or expect things of us? If this God were responsible for our existence, wouldn't we owe something or possibly many things to Him as a result? And wouldn't we be compelled to wonder what he thinks about the way we have chosen to live our lives? To put it plainly, yes, we would. Is it possible this is part of the reason many choose to reject God? What's more, is it possible that some are simply more comfortable believing there is no God? After all, if there is no God, then we don't know him anything, and there is no reason to wonder what he thinks about us, or the choices we make. But make no mistake, simply deciding we would rather dismiss the possibility of a God who has the right to ask or even require things of us is not a good reason in actuality to believe that He doesn't exist. The existence of God is good news. The existence of the God of the Bible is good news for those who will listen. The God who reveals Himself to us in the pages of Scripture is not simply a Creator who set things spinning and has taken a hands-off approach since. That kind of God would be a distant and potentially cold figure. It might even be surmised that a God like that cared little for His creation, certainly not in a personal way. This could not be further from the truth concerning the God revealed in the Bible. He is real. He is personal and far from hiding from those he created, God is looking to make himself known at the deepest, most intimate levels. A brief glance at a few logical arguments. At this point, it is appropriate to take a brief detour into the world of apologetics, and I do mean brief. The aim of this audiobook is not to provide proof of the existence of God, but rather to point the listener to his majesty, his wisdom, and his hope for his creation a return to His way for us. That said, there is value in making the case for God's existence, both from a philosophical perspective and a scientific one as well. If you would enjoy a deeper dive into the history and philosophy behind the three logical arguments, you can read that in the written version, Appendix A. For the sake of our purposes, a quick definition of the argument, followed by a few supporting scriptures, will be best. The Kalam Cosmological Argument The Kalam Cosmological Argument states, 1. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. 2. The universe began to exist. 3. Therefore, the universe has a cause. Christian apologists often take the argument one step further, saying that if the universe has a cause, then an uncaused creator of the universe who is timeless, infinitely powerful, and independent of the universe must exist. Consider these passages of Scripture which tell us much the same thing. Genesis 1-1 In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 33-6 By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of His mouth. John 1-1-3 In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Hebrews 11.3 By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Revelation 4.11 You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. The Moral Law Argument The Moral Law Argument contends that human beings have a basic knowledge of right and wrong, and beyond that a shared agreement that we should do what is right as opposed to what is wrong. Some argue that the concepts of right and wrong are nothing more than cultural constructs. The Moral Law Argument proposes that God is the source of human understanding concerning right and wrong. Take a look at these passages from Scripture that make the same argument. Genesis 3, 3 3-5 But God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Micah 6, 8 He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Romans 2, 14-15 Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, and at other times even defending them. James 4.17 If anyone, then, knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. The Argument from Design The Argument from Design claims that the complexity of the created order points to the necessity of an intelligent creator. When we observe the beauty and intricacy of creation with the naked eye, or even with the aid of tools such as the microscope or telescope, we will constantly be confronted by a degree of complexity that cannot be explained through mechanisms of random chance. Listen to these passages that speak about the design and the designer. Psalm 19, 1-4 The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Romans 1:19 through 19-20 Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Colossians 1, 16-17 For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Chapter Takeaways The Bible presents God as a powerful Creator who spoke the universe into being. What you believe about God will shape your worldview. Those who see God as their Creator will recognize that He has the right to ask what He desires of His creation. The existence of God is good news. He is the one, after all, who declared that the creation of humanity was very good. The case for God is a strong one, making it more than reasonable to believe in His existence.
0: Awesome. Hey, well, Paul, thank you so much for sharing that with us. Glad to. This was just great to get to listen to, and man, hope you all found that meaningful, and hopefully it piques your interest enough to want to go and get a copy of the book, whether that's on Audible, Amazon, or you know, hard copy or Audible. Yep. Um, but please, check this out. It is a great time. I think you all will really appreciate it. Um, so you can get that wherever you get your books. Amazon, easiest place yep. to go for either format.
1: Yeah, right. I mean, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all those uh, carry it. Um, you can go to the publisher Westbow if you want. But really, Amazon is kind of the easiest because there you can get it uh, hard copy. You can get the digital copy ebook. You can also uh, get the audible version right there as well. So it's, it's all right there. If you want uh, the hardback, which is uh, overpriced in my opinion, but I didn't have a choice in how these <laughs> things got priced. That was on the publisher. Uh, but then the, the soft cover is, I think, very reasonably priced. So, awesome. uh, so yeah, you can get them there if you want.
0: Very cool. Well, friends, next up, we are we are approaching Season 2 of yeah. Practice Makes Faithful. We've got a couple exciting things coming up. Actually, Paul is going to be preaching through some of the content of this book starting in August.
1: Yeah, want to say right.
0: anything about that, Paul?
1: Yeah, so we're going to work through the chapters week by week um, as, a, as a sermon series. So it will be a lot like the book but also expanding a little bit beyond the book mm-hmm, as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the target for the book was roughly 30,000 words because uh, as the initial publisher that I was working with told me, uh, if you go much over 30,000 words, people won't read it anymore. So, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, they will listen to it, yeah, but yeah. they won't read it. And yeah. so uh, so that was the target for the book, um, but but there's additional material that we'll have for, uh, for the message awesome. series as well. And so looking forward to walking through that week by week. I think we're gonna do some things uh, here at Grace Chapel anyway, that allow our small groups to connect with it week by week. The book by the way cool. has kind of Takeaways that I think will be helpful to use uh, as yeah. small group tools as well. Rob has told me he's going to work on some things, our discipleship minister, uh, you know, as well, awesome. that, that will help kind of pair and partner with the book. And so uh, so it should be a great eight-week experience. We're going to end uh, our time together or toward the end of our time together in that uh, eight-week experience. Uh, we're going to have a time of, um, you know, repentance, prayer, and fasting as we come back, return to God, and say, God, what are... What a, Uh, you know, Mm -hmm. what is it in my way that I'm still embracing where I need to allow my ways to be replaced by your ways to truly live a repentant lifestyle before you? Mm,
0: That's awesome. That is awesome. So that all gets started on Sunday, August 7th. If you are local, we invite you, come on down, come join us here at Grace Chapel for those messages. If you're not, tune in online, tune into our Grace Chapel podcast, check those out, and then following that, season two of Practice Makes Faith will get started on Wednesday, August 10th, our new release date, Wednesday mornings. We'll be dropping the podcast. We're going to be discussing a lot of this content. So it's going to be pretty cool. We're going to be really diving into this. We highly recommend read this so that you can start already thinking about it and uh we'll dive into this content for this next season
1: yeah it's gonna be great for sure
0: awesome all right y'all hey well we hope to see you wednesday august 10th kick this off with season two go ahead share this with your friends we highly encourage you share this with other people we'd love to just get the word out about this podcast even more it'd be awesome but thank y'all for joining us today yeah see you soon